0: This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow, from the land and sea they roam. Drinking wine in the great So here I am on the Vigneto Podcast, a new episode with Amy Zavato, a writer and author who I've known for a while, but we've never really talked about a huge aspect of her life, which is all of the books that she's written. I have one of her books and I'm interested to hear about that, but I hope that we get to talk about many of her books. So Amy, how many have you written actually? Hello.
1: Um, <laughs> I, you know, I was, th- when you, you, you mentioned that question to me beforehand and I had to think about it um, because I have done about five books cocktail books, cocktail recipe books, one book on wine and food pairing. I ghosted a couple of wine books, Uh, three, three, three. So that's five, six, nine. And I just wrote a book for Rizzoli on a distillery. So that's 10. And I am in the process of ghost writing another cocktail book for a um, a famous TV hospitality personality. So we shall 11, remain nameless. We shall remain nameless currently. So eleven, I guess, in the wine spirits realm, and a couple of others in non in the non wine spirits realm. So a bunch. <laughs> a baker's that's dozen. A lot of books. I mean, a lot I, of books. I've had. Yeah, that's a
0: that's a lot of books. That's very exciting. So the one I have, I think it's called. Prosecco made me do it
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 60 seriously that was last year seconds. or
0: two years ago
1: no I think actually Prosecco made me do it was from 20 you know what hold on I actually have a copy right here and I could open it I could tell you isn't that terrible I don't even know um <laughs> so you're it, so busy that I guess you you know it's uh 2017 it came out so actually it's been it's been a few years but that was a a big favorite of mine the one that i wrote after that was uh the big book of bourbon cocktails that came out in 2019 i think yeah so okay
0: so prosecco made me do it all about prosecco cocktails correct
1: correct and also uh, a little um lovely aperitivo introductory section on, on Prosecco. So people can, cause I, to me, um, I think one of the keys to making delicious and wonderful Prosecco cocktails is learning a little bit about Prosecco and, um, you know, so it's not just, you know, popping any old bottle and not paying attention and just dumping it into whatever, but thinking about different levels of sweetness, um, you know highlighting certain characteristics or others and uh you know really making the most of your drinks and dialing it in so
0: so did you come to a lot of these books through the ingredient like through the prosecco or through the bourbon or is it the cocktail nature of it are you principally a cocktail person is co- are cocktails your fascination or is it the primary material that it goes into the cocktail or is it a little bit of everything isn't it Which funny it's very I interesting
1: just, what a question um, you know, I started in this business. I started as a book editor, but I I got out of um, being a book editor because I wanted to be a writer, and I wanted to be a food writer. So I started because my father's a butcher, and I sort of grew up in a very, um, very food centric family, um, and I. Uh, I got my degree in journalism and just wanted to be a food writer so badly, but it sounded bananas, so I became a book editor. (laughs) Uh, And after doing that for a long time, I quit. And I in about 2000, and I decided to try writing about food, and it was great and so much fun for a really long time. And I wrote for all kinds of people. And then I I got I was offered from my old book publisher. The possibility of writing a wine and food pairing book and i thought wow that sounds really great and i brought in a friend of mine who worked for a um an imported distributor to write it with me because at the time my wine knowledge was eh, it was all right it wasn't great and from that it just opened up this whole world of wine to me and i was like wow this is this is amazing and I started doing a lot of wine writing. And then uh, I, by some fluke, some PR person found me when they were establishing the Bourbon Trail in uh, Kentucky and into Tennessee. And they, and starting at, sorry, it's starting at uh, Mount Vernon in Washington, uh, DC or Virginia where um, George Washington had a distillery. And they invited me on this trip, and I thought it sounded interesting. And then I just fell in love with spirits. So that's a very long-winded way of telling you I love both. Um, I, I, I guess lately I've been doing a lot more spirits and cocktail writing than um, wine, but but still keep my hands in both. And as far as the books go, you know, I've been very fortunate um since that very first book with very little exception I have been asked and sought out to write pretty much all of these books by different publishers um, well that's amazing so you
0: haven't had to write book proposals they come to you
1: rather I, I than have, you
0: going to them
1: I, I have had to write a couple of book proposals in the past but I haven't had to do it very often most of the books I have written I was um I was sought out and asked to write them. And that's, that's pretty, pretty neat. (laughs) That
0: is pretty neat. So I I definitely have to get that bourbon book because I've just kind of rediscovered bourbon ridiculously through the, um, through the Yellowstone series. I don't know if you watched that on television. So anyway, there's this story about a family in Yellowstone and they, there's a Yellowstone bourbon that I picked up. And so I've been drinking more bourbon than I had in the past and also because of someone that I interviewed or was in the Next Big Sip last year, uh, who's is the Black Bourbon Society. Bourbon has kind of come back into my life because I swore it off when I was about 19, when I had too much of it at one point. And so <laughs> I, I stayed yeah. away from bourbon for a very long time. So what is the name of your book?
1: Um, bourbon? It, it's called The Big Book of Bourbon. And it's it's a big book of bourbon. And it's funny you say that because what you just said about bourbon, I think so many of us have those experiences with especially with spirits, and sometimes with wine too, but I, I, one of the things that I love doing is introducing people to things that they think that they don't like you know I've had friends who oh no I can't drink gin It just it makes me it makes me mean or it makes me crazy or whatever or I don't I had a bad experience when I was young or tequila or whiskey or on and on and on but the thing is if you really you know, find something that you love and you learn how something's made and you, you know, get to appreciate it a little more and still, you know, it's still a delicious, fun drink and it's still fun. It's not like it's all some big, you know, boring schooling, (laughs) but I think when you learn about something, it helps you to enjoy it a lot more. Well, that is
0: certainly true, but gin does make me mean. Maybe you'll convince me to drink mean, more. more I I'm actually surprised that you said that. I've never heard anyone say that either. I'm like a mean cat when I drink
1: gin. Have That's, you written a book about gin? I have not. I have not written a book about gin, but hey, you know who knows? <laughs> who knows, who what, knows what the future lies?
0: I would buy that one too. I remember you doing a presentation. Uh, for me for a client and you made me so much want to go out and buy sort of cocktail items and have my own little bar set at home and all of that so you know you really did encourage me to want to make more cocktails That's so So it's interesting because you got into this writing from food that was your your initial love have you ever written just a straight book
1: about food I have not um, many, many articles. I used to do restaurant reviews and all kinds of things like that. But um, but no, I've never written a book about food, although currently I am working on ooh, a passion project of mine, something that somebody did not ask me to do and that I will have to write a book proposal for on a, a, a person in the food world. I'm writing a biography on a, on a person in the food world. And it's my... Kind of passion project, and it's uh, it's really humbling because it's a very different kind of book. Never written anything like this before, and um, yeah, I, whew, it's a, every day is a challenge with it, and and I I I like it. It's stretching me, and it's it's making me do things and work in ways that I haven't done before, um, and I I'm really. Mostly enjoying and sometimes really fretting over the challenge of it, but uh, but it's good. It's good to it's good to push yourself.
0: Well, that sounds really exciting. Is the person you're writing about
1: alive? No, and that's part of the challenge. She is dead. Uh, she is dead since the 60s, and um, I have found her. Her children are also dead, but i found her grandchildren. And I have found some other people who knew her, and I've been trying to set up all these interviews. So far, people have been really super cooperative and lovely, Um, and just it's so. That's another part of the challenge: is digging up information and sort of putting this thing together about a person who is no longer living, but who had a huge impact on um, on the food world. So. Yeah, and on
0: you, I guess, for for the reason that you chose her, I, I, see, I guess it's yes, a woman. Yes,
1: I so. It was a, yes, she was a woman, um, and uh, she had a cookbook. I'm sorry, I'm being so. Um... It's fine. It's
0: exciting. <laughs> I am trying Just to get information about <laughs> it without you know making you or asking you to reveal. But so it was uh, Mrs. I can't remember Mrs. Plum in the kitchen. Exactly. So so Mrs. Plum, (laughs) um,
1: Mrs. Plum wrote a cookbook many, many years ago. And my mother uh, had a copy of this cookbook. And I always loved it as a child, because it had these beautiful illustrations in it. And um, my mother passed away in 1989, a very, very long time ago. My mother had this cookbook that I was fascinated by as a child not because I was some kind of you know cooking genius as a child I I think maybe I could scramble eggs um but because it was it had these beautiful illustrations in it and I just would pour over this book as a child um and my father gave it to me um several years ago and I don't keep it with my cookbooks I keep it with my nice books on a on a bookshelf um, That has these glass doors. So it's sort of protected. And it was a bad, bad day early in the pandemic. And I was sitting and watching um, the news. And the governor was saying that that particular day, like 700 and something people had died. And I was just, you know, like all of us, just reeling, you know, and trying to get my head around this horrible news and feeling really, you know, terrified. And, you know, just needing some comfort. And I just turned off the television and I was pacing around my house and I my eyes fell on that book and I pulled it off the bookshelf and I just kind of started flipping through it. And for the first time I noticed the title of the book had this person's name in it along with the thing that she was famous for. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I, I have no idea who that person is. And I started reading the book for the first time and i just fell down this rabbit hole and ever since then i've been you know just it's been like a year and a half that i've been working <laughs> slowly but surely on this on this book this book that i hope will become uh you know see the light of day um soon <laughs> but yeah so so that's so to answer your question of if i've ever written a book about food um I guess technically no, other than the wine and food pairing book that I mentioned—the first one I ever wrote. But this is about a person in the food industry um, who really deserves deserves to be known, and I'm excited to um, make her known. So, well,
0: it sounds like you're going to do her justice. So, that's, oh, sure. I'm excited to you know find out who she is, <laughs> all this mystery, and to um, you know I'll tell you, you offline. It. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll 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 keep that under under cover. But okay. so let me ask you so you're a journalist you write for a bunch of publications. I know you write for liquor.com because I've read your work in liquor.com. Who else do you write for?
1: I write for uh, Wine Enthusiast, I write for 750 Daily, I write for the New York Post sometimes. I write for um oh gosh, uh imbibe. I write for Um, oh dear, so many people. Are the edibles still open? I mean, you used to write for edible. I I used to, I was, yes, I wrote for the edibles for a good decade. Um, You know, they're under transition right now, um, which is why I'm not currently writing anything for them. I just did something for edible Finger Lakes. Um, They're all owned by separate people. Um, Oh, I always imagine that they were owned by the same kind of umbrella company. One, one, person, one, uh, a couple of guys owned um, Edible East End, Edible Long Island, Edible Brooklyn, Edible Manhattan uh, together for many, many years. And then they uh, split up their partnership. And now Edible East End and Edible Long Island are owned by one of the partners and Edible Brooklyn, Edible Manhattan and Edible Hudson Valley are owned by a new person who just yeah and so I'm hopeful that she's going to really revive it and bring it back because it was such a wonderful wonderful publication and I would say some of the stories yeah yeah
0: they were great I remember reading some of your stories in there and it's funny because I've read your stories through the years in different publications and then I you know I don't necessarily always look at the byline first but I'm like oh right Amy wrote this Amy wrote that Amy wrote the other (laughs) thing so how (laughs) is your writing process different when you're writing a book than when you're writing these articles.
1: I would say, um, well, obviously you're you're dealing with, you know, length. <laughs> so you're with an article, you know, certainly you're breaking something down into into pieces. If it's a feature story, you know, if if it's a roundup, for instance, like there, you know, there's obviously there's different types of stories. Um, a roundup of different bourbons or wines or whatever you're going to introduce it you're going to you know do the research of outreach to get the products to get the tech sheets to get the you know the images you're going to go through and do a tasting you're going to write all your notes down you know and then you're going to go about the process of writing it and sending it out. with a longer article you know you need to you need to string together a story But you need to do that in a way that gives people what it's about right up front, you know, as you know, any good journalism school, you know, graduate knows the five W's get them on up there. (laughs) And, um, and then you have to string together all these pieces and some of sometimes that that can be so easy and sometimes that can be so difficult and, and you, you need to sort of, you know, break it down into pieces for the book you're breaking it down into many pieces. So you're breaking it down into chapters. Um, and, you know, you start with an introduction um, and hopefully that introduction is something that is useful for the reader or um, interesting for them and gives them an overview of what they're gonna be reading. And then, you know, you you know, be, with cocktail books, it's kind of about looking at the topic, like with Prosecco, um, there was a lot of information that I really wanted to convey in the introduction that was beyond your typical sort of, Oh, this is a book about this, blah, 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 blah. I wanted people to learn more about the region and understand the difference between the DOCG and the DOC, the DOCGs actually, there's two of them. Um, and why one might cost more than another. Um, what the flavor profiles are how it's made and why it's different from champagne um you know all of these things that people don't consumers don't necessarily know like the people you and i know and walk around with and dwell with in our work world they know all these things you know but you have to remember that the average consumer does not and you're not talking down to them by explaining to them how something works if anything they, they're hungry and thirsty for that information they want to know that so for for that particular book, I I felt it was important, I believed it was important to explain Prosecco in, in a way that was fun, in a way that was educational, and in a way that would help the reader to understand that particular wine so that they could use it better.
0: Well, it, it's great to know that you were trying to elevate people's understanding of Prosecco because I often feel that, people just consider it all the same thing which it's not I mean there's so much mm. variety within it and so Mm -hmm. many different quality levels and styles and I think that's that's really smart I mean I am not a professional cocktail writer drinker or really um, anything else but Mm -hmm. I would imagine that the different styles work with different kinds of cocktails and that's part of what's in your book I know, yes. which I have here somewhere on my shelf. Well, it's and, and interesting you said that about your good books as opposed to your your cookbooks. I actually consider all my cookbooks and my wine books kind of. They may not be fancy, but I don't. You know, I still consider them great books and I have so many of them. So I
1: hear you. I, I don't mean I'm i don't, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to discourage my cookbooks. What I mean is that my cookbooks get splattered <laughs> and splashed. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> you know? that's true. Well off them. So that's true. they're supposed to be well loved is what they yes, should be. They're workhorses and and so and my and other books I I try to keep them like a little more protected, even though I, you know, obviously like I read them and I take them off the shelf and, you know, different times in your life and the year and a month, whatever, but I try to keep them a bit more protected. And because that book is dear to me because it reminds me of my mother, the book I was talking to you about before. Yeah, that, no. that book, I don't want my dog to eat the spine off of.
0: <laughs> yeah, but totally, totally, under, I hear you. That, I, I hear you 100%. So is there a space that you write in? Do you have a time that you write? I'm talking about when you write a book. Yeah, so yeah. So do you have a time set in the day? Do you have a space? Do you write on, you know, I'm sure, I mean, I would say, do you write with a pen? But I'm sure you write on your computer. And do you have a word count? Like, are you a word count person? Are you, uh, you know, conveying a certain concept or an idea all at once? Or how do you break it up?
1: Those are great questions. Wow. Um, okay. For starters, I I have an office in my home. Um, and that's where I work 90% of the time. Um, I have a desk, sit at my desk. Uh, I... I do have a little, a little kind of couch in my office. So if I just, because sometimes you just feel restless, you know, and, and it's, it's affecting your writing and your focus. And sometimes I just get up and I'll just go sit somewhere different (laughs) and it, it's stupid, but it helps. It just helps me to kind of rejigger my brain a little bit, be like, okay, I just, I feel a little more comfortable. I feel a little more, you know, whatever, whatever the physical environment is that's sort of bugging me at that moment sometimes I'll just get up and I'll move somewhere else um I've never been a write in a cafe kind of person I've tried it I could do it but it's distracting to me there's too much else going on in those places Um, yeah I
0: can barely check my email in a cafe
1: yeah it's I've never you know I, I hats off to people who can do that but I can't I can't tune out all of the very fascinating, interesting, distracting things that are going on in a, in a typical uh, New York cafe. Um, So that's where I write. Um, And um, I, I am much more of a morning person than a night person to my husband's great chagrin because he is such a night owl. (laughs) Like he'll want to like move furniture around at 11 o'clock at night because he's inspired and I'm like, I need to go to bed now. Bye. Um, uh, So I typically get up, you know, pretty early and try to use that time to get rid of the distractors like my email or bills or, you know, personal phone call. I feel like I gotta call my sister, you know, or something like that. Walk my dog, do a little exercise if, you know, if I'm, you know, feeling so good that I can do that. Um, take a shower because uh, despite what people believe as a freelancer for 20 years, I really, I really think you need to get up and get dressed and, and be, you know, present in that way. Uh, I think 100%. it's- 100%. I think it's so much better. And I feel so bad for people who've had to go remote during the pandemic and are trying to figure this out. And they're like, I'm just gonna stay in my pajamas all day. I just, I can't, I, it makes me feel like I'm sick or I'm, you know, kind of giving up. <laughs> I just can't, like, I gotta get up, no, I, I gotta shower. I, I gotta get dressed. I agree. I <laughs> yeah. agree. But the question um, is, do
0: you put on, um, do you put
1: lipstick on for Zoom? I did for you today, because I thought that we were going to I, I always actually, I have to say I am my mother's daughter in that way. Like I, if I'm going to have a zoom, I will, you know, put on I, I mean, it might not look to anybody else like I put on any makeup, but like, I do. And I try to like, make myself a little bit more presentable than, um, than I normally, <laughs> than you normally might find if you were the UPS guy, and you rang the doorbell. <laughs> so funny. Um, no, it's true. I, I yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: the problem with lipstick is always you know then you in your mask I looked at my mask and I was like oh there's lipstick in my mask oh, in any event I digress so that's okay so do you have any tips for aspiring writers of books um, somebody was trying to write a book you're a book editor yeah. uh, former book editor an author of many
1: books um hmm. you know you know <laughs> there's a there's a book I think Norman Mailer wrote it called and he called it the spooky art <laughs> It was about writing and um and I always thought that that title was so funny because writing does have such a such a sort of um romantic allure I think for people but it is work and I think for any writer who wants to write a book, <laughs> write um, write an article, write anything. Um, I think you have to understand that it's not sitting around and waiting for the muse to hit you. Although certainly, you know, there are muses out there, and they do hit you. <laughs> they do smack you in the head, and you're like, "Oh my god, thank you, that's amazing." But, but that's such a small part of it, and really sitting down and forcing yourself to do the work is you know 90 percent. you have to because you're going to have times when you're sitting there and and the only the only hurdle you have i mean there's lots of hurdles you can have i shouldn't say that there's plenty of hurdles out there but one of the biggest hurdles you have is yourself and battling your procrastination and battling all of the bad demons in your head that are like, you suck. You're a terrible writer. What are you doing? You're really bad at this, <laughs> which are I mean, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I'm pretty sure I'm speaking for most writers and many people would uh, relate to all of those horrible, horrible thoughts that go on in your head. Um, and you can't, you know, you just can't mope around and be maudlin about it. And while certainly procrastinating is, not a bad thing. Sometimes it's good to step away and clear your head and do something else and come back, but you have to sit down and you have to do the work. And even if you feel like what you're writing right now is crap, (laughs) you know, just push through it, um, get something down, give yourself some kind of whatever the limit is that you need. Like you're going to, I'm going to write, you know, whether it's a hundred words or 10,000 words, whatever it is, like, just commit to it and do it. Um, and as far as books go, God, uh, r- know that writing a book proposal is—it's very important, but it's also really helping you to start writing the book. Um, and it's—it's it's part of the process. And um, yeah, how's that? So great, <laughs> great, great, great
0: uh tips so I don't want to keep you I know I'm sure you have things you need to get back to doing including writing even though it's afternoon (laughs) but so let's focus for a second Uh um let's talk about what is exciting to you right now in the wine and spirits world in the middle of all this I know you've got diploma and I mean you're a a serious wine person so what are you excited about in the wine and spirits world is there something new that you've Uh discovered That you Um, think is like wow I didn't know about that and that is really great and you're excited about it spirit cocktail wine
1: Hmm. you know I was very excited to figure out the perfect to me red to use as the traditional float in a new york sour and this is like the most wonderful drink for wine people and spirits people because it combines both and it does it so so beautifully so you know what a whiskey sour is right it's a i do but can we go through
0: it because as i said i'm yeah
1: simple simple drink delicious delicious drink whiskey fresh lemon juice simple syrup shake it up pour it give yourself a little lemon uh swath twist stick it in there there you go over ice But a New York sour, so there's lots of riffs on the sour, on the whiskey sour, and a New York sour has a red wine float in the top. So you pour a little bit of red wine after you do all the rest of that, and you pour it over the back of a spoon. So it just floats on top. And it just makes such a beautiful presentation. Hmm. Um, But I found, and you will like this, since you're such an Italian wine expert, um, Dolcetto makes the most wonderful Red wine float on a New York sour. It is my pick. Everyone says Pinot Noir. I say no. I say Dolcetto.
0: That's so interesting. So <laughs> I have I have one other wine to suggest that you well two others to suggest that you try to see what you think. Sure. Um, uh, as part of this float, but <laughs> is it is it the cherry kind of freshness of Dolcetto? Is it? I'm thinking. Is it? I'm thinking about the weight of Dolcetto mm-hmm. as a grape variety. Is it, is it the aromas and flavors of dolcetto? Is it the lightness of dolcetto? Is it the sweetness of dolcetto? What
1: is it that you think is just makes it perfect? It is both that sort of fruity quality mm-hmm. and that medium to light bodied mm-hmm. um, part of it. But mm-hmm. also there's a bit, you know, in, in so many Italian wines there is that- The bitter finish. That little, yes, that savoriness, that sort of little bit of bitterness. And that I think is what's missing when you use say, certainly a new world Pinot Noir in a float. Um, That's
0: very interesting. What, what, What about a Beaujolais? Have you, you ever never, had one I've never version? tried
1: yeah, I've never done Gane with uh, so I'm a, thinking
0: a, like I'm thinking the, about that, that hmm, spectrum that of that like dolcetto yeah. gropello. have you ever had gropello?
1: I have not had gropello. Oh
0: gropello is fantastic. Where's I, it I, grown? So gropello comes from Lake Garda. Oh. It's an Riva del Garda. There's a wonderful producer of gropello. I don't have any in the house. It's Selva Capuzza. When I get some gropello here, I will get it to you or think about who. Works with Grapello. It might be in the Garda DOC. It's under maybe the Garda DOC also umbrella. So perhaps those people. But Grapello is a great grape variety that kind of has the great things about. Um, and it's from the um Sorry, it's from Lombardy, and it's. Um, has kind of some of the flavors of Dolcetto, but it also reminds me of Gamay. So, Beaujolais, so I'd be interested how that would work. And then my second idea for you in that mm-hmm. drink that I've never had um, is Rossese, which is another really great red light grape variety from Liguria.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, so... so- so, I'm going to add like an extra thing onto your what are you most excited about in the world of wine spirits? Can I just say that Italian wine is endlessly, endlessly fascinating? And like, if I could just spend the rest of my life just learning, trying to learn everything there is to know about Italian wine, I would be the happiest person in the world. What a wonderful, worthwhile topic.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, yes,
1: yes. is
0: yes. <laughs> from Italy, right?
1: Yes. Uh, my father, My father's family was from Calabria, so and that was actually the last European trip I took before the pandemic, and I wrote a story about it for Seven Fifty Daily, which was pretty exciting. That is exciting. Where (laughs) in Calabria is he from? From um, we were from uh, Cosenza, near in that Mm -hmm, that area. mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, Cosenza. Yep. In a little. Does your dad like? Does he
0: like a lot of pepper and spice in his food?
1: My father did like a lot of pepper and spice in his food. He was a, a um, uh, oh, what is that spicy? Um, um, what is wrong with me? I can't think of the very spicy. Um, Sopressata. No, nope, I mean, yes, he loves Sopressata. Uh, the... Capacola. So he was a connoisseur of spicy Capacola. It was like so fun. And I would, so he he passed away about five years ago in March and one of my favorite things, he used to make beautiful super spicy Italian sausage and he would I would bring him from from the city, I would just seek out like the spiciest Capacola I could find and I would bring it to him like an offering to the god and he would be (laughs) like this is not spicy. (laughs) I'd be like, Oh, I failed. And it was just this hilarious kind of thing we do. And I would bring him an offering and he'd be like, nah, it's it's not spicy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've never had such spicy food in my life. I mean, I remember just my mouth being on fire when I, when I visited Calabria. Well, Amy, it was so nice to spend time talking with you. Do you have a website? Is it like amyzavado.com? Where can people find your work? Yes. amyzavado.com. That is me. Perfect. And their your books
1: largely they can buy on Amazon? On Amazon, always, Barnes and Noble. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I am at AmyZeats. At AmyZeats. AZ. Right. Right. That's interesting. So
0: it's the <laughs> it's the uh, food part of you. Yes. That you're yes. calling in there. I'm always hungry. <laughs> well. Yes. And after this conversation, frankly, I, I'm thinking, do I have any really spicy sausage in my food? <laughs> no, I do not. I do not. It was so nice to speak with you. Thank you so much for taking the time
1: to speak with me, Amy. You too. I really so appreciate Thank it. You so much. This was really Thank pleasure. you. My pleasure. Ciao.
0: <laughs> that was such an exciting conversation with Amy Zavato. I can't wait to get more of her books. I have her Prosecco book. The Vignetta podcast is a bi-monthly podcast. I love to say weekly, but I don't always get one out every week. So at least a bi-monthly podcast, which you can find on Fridays, wherever you get your podcasts. I really appreciate your listening. Thanks so much. This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow From the land See,
1: they're drinking wine in the great